0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the
1: broken. Started with Abraham, and then from there on, his descendants, that's who God wanted to use, and he chose them as a special people to worship him, to glorify him, to represent him, and they said, no thanks, God. We're glad we're chosen by you. But we kind of want to do things our way and that would be the last little bit of how not to be a church it's not about your way it's not it's not and let me say this too it's not about my way it's not about my way it's about his way and what does god want who's in charge of your life is god just an advisor
0: or is he in charge in his message today pastor james reminds us that life isn't about getting what we want but life's about following god's way God has a plan for each of our lives. He has a vision of what He wants us to become and how we'll look when we mature spiritually. He uses life situations as tools to sculpt us into the image that He envisions. Let's humbly submit to His awesome plan for us, knowing that He knows what it's going to take to perfect us. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter 106, as Pastor James begins his message, Chosen to Glorify.
1: We're going through First Peter, as you guys know, and last time we covered some ground. And, and there's elements of, of last time that I just, I was like, I, we need to spend more time on this. And I wanted to go deeper into some of the subject matter than what I was able to. So we're not pressing on any further into First Peter, uh, because I really just felt like the Lord's telling me, we're not done yet. You're not done yet. So, and through a bunch of wrestling and just trying to figure out like, okay, Lord, well, well then what? Um, so, uh, I'm a verse by verse, chapter by chapter kind of guy. Like, I really feel like before we navigate into some interesting waters concerning First Peter, like how you interact with government and authorities, ruling authorities, which seems to be a big deal nowadays. As believers, how do we interact with them? With, you know, we get into how you interact as a family unit. There's some things that we want to address, we want to cover before we move too quickly into those things. And so as I was just praying through it and all that, um, the Lord just kind of put it on my heart as this whole idea of we're a spiritual temple. That's who we are, you know, a chosen people. We saw that in First Peter chapter 2. That's who he's making us into. We're all just a bunch of bricks being used by God and put into place to build this thing he calls the church, which is his deal. But I thought it would be good to pause there for a second and say, well, what makes a bad church? What makes a good church? And how do we be a good church? So technically, this really is a topical kind of study that I just really think is timely for us. And especially as we've been growing as a church and, and all that good stuff, This it just seems like this is a good moment to push pause and say, concerning the world out there, what are they looking for? what would be attractive? And we're not trying to be an attractional kind of church, but we are in one sense. Because the world should be like curious as to what's going on in here. So we're gonna address some of this stuff. So first off, I'm gonna have you go to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. This is how not to be a church. (laughs) If you're gonna label this thing, if you need some handles to hold on to, this is how we ought to not look. I would call this saying chosen to glorify. That is what the church is as a whole. We have been chosen by God to glorify God, period. Okay, like that's, that's church. That's why the church exists is for the glorification of God. It's not so that you get your happy feels and all that good stuff. And if that happens, praise God, praise God. Also, if you get convicted, praise God. I'm happy for that too i'm happy if you leave happy i'm happy if you leave convicted honestly because it's not about you and me and how we feel and did let's rate that it was how was the worship today was that good scale we don't care we we don't care like our what we care about is was christ magnified was jesus celebrated today was he glorified today the best way to learn this i think is to look back and there are examples that were given to us on how not to be his people. And we find a prime example of that with the children of Israel, who were a chosen nation. And we see this throughout First Peter. He uses Old Testament truths to present a New Testament reality that applies directly to us. Okay, so it's always good to look back to learn lessons, everything that our parents told us, Right? learn from our mistakes, and we're like, yeah, whatever, right? And then we make our own mistakes or repeat theirs. We want to look back and say, okay, what were they doing that was not pleasing to God? Because as a whole, as a nation, they lived in just flat-out rebellion against this God who still has chosen them. He's not done with Israel. So in Psalm 106, now this is a long song, but we're just going to, this is like point one. This is how not to be. We're going to read through this thing. It doesn't require much explanation at all because you'll see it. This is the history of Israel, so to speak, in the Psalms. Look at verse one. Praise the Lord. There you go. What a great start. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of everything because he's good. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise him enough? There is joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come near and rescue me. Let me share in the prosperity of your chosen ones. Let me rejoice in the joy of your people. Let me praise you with those who are your heritage. This is good stuff. This is what we should be doing. This is who the church should be, rejoicing and praising God because he is so good. He is so good. Here's where we learn how not to be. Like our ancestors, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. Our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. They soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him at the Red Sea. Even so, he saved them to defend the honor of his name. To demonstrate his mighty power, he commanded the Red Sea to dry up and led Israel across the sea as if it were a desert. So he rescued them from their enemies and redeemed them from their foes, and their response should have been to worship him the rest of their lives. But they did not. Then the water returned and covered their enemies. Not one of them survived. Then his people believed his promises, and they sang his praise. That's great. Amen, right? Unfortunately, it doesn't last long. Yet how quickly they forgot what he had done. They wouldn't wait for his counsel. In the wilderness their desires ran wild, testing God's patience in that dry wasteland. So he gave them what they asked for, but he sent a plague along with it. The people in the camp were jealous of Moses and envious of Aaron, the Lord's holy priest. Because of this the earth opened up and it swallowed Dathan and buried uh, Abraham and the other rebels. Fire fell upon their followers, a flame consumed the wicked. The people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image made of gold. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating bull. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done such great things in Egypt, such wonderful things in the land of Ham, such awesome deeds at the Red Sea, so he declared he would destroy them. But Moses, his chosen one, stepped in between the Lord and the people and begged them to turn from his anger and not to destroy them. The people refused to enter the pleasant land, for they wouldn't believe his promise to care for them. Instead, they grumbled in their tents and refused to obey the Lord. Therefore, he solemnly swore that he would kill them in the wilderness that he would scatter their descendants among the nations, exiling them to distant lands. Remember, this is where we're at in First Peter. Peter is writing to the exiles. Then our ancestors joined in the worship of Baal at Peor. They even ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They angered the Lord with all these things, so a plague broke out among them. But Phinehas had the courage to intervene, and a plague was stopped. So he was regarded as a righteous man ever since that time. At Mirabah too, they angered the Lord, causing Moses serious trouble. They made Moses angry, and he spoke foolishly. Israel failed to destroy the nations in the land as the Lord had commanded them. Instead, they mingled among the pagans and adopted their evil customs. They worshiped their idols, which led to their downfall, and they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons, which it is demonic, by the way. They shed innocent blood and the blood of their sons and daughters by sacrificing them to the idols of Canaan. They polluted the land with murder, they defiled themselves by their evil deeds, and their love of idols was adultery in the Lord's sight. That is why the Lord's anger burned against his people. He had abhorred his own special possession. These are words that we've seen in First Peter. He handed them over to pagan nations, and they were ruled by those who hated them. Their enemies crushed them and brought them under their cruel power. Again and again, he rescued them, but they chose to rebel against him, and they were finally destroyed by their sin. Even so, he pitied them in their distress and listened to their cries. He remembered his covenant with them and relented because of his unfailing love. He even caused their captors to treat them with kindness. Save us, O Lord, our God gather us back from among the nations so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you praise the lord the god of israel who lives from everlasting to everlasting let all the people say amen praise the lord how not to be the church Now, I know this is Israel, and I'm interchanging those words there. Again, he's not done with Israel. He still has a plan for Israel. But I think this is a good lesson for us as a church of how not to function individually and corporately. Because this psalm is addressed to a nation corporately, but it also has individual application as well. So things we have to be on guard of concerning how not to be a church is not trusting God. First and foremost, he rescued you out of Egypt. If he did that miraculous act for you, for me, can we not trust him the rest of the journey? We can, right? Every single step of the way. But how often I revert back to this Israelite kind of mentality, thinking the old ways were the good ways. Those were the good old days, but they weren't. Pre-Christ, nothing was the good old days. Don't fall into that trap. So that would be another trap of like just assuming it's so difficult in this walk with Jesus that it'd just be easier if I just go back or if I just like take a break, right? Because you've discovered this. The more times you open up the word, the more attacks you probably get. And, And you find yourself getting distracted quite often. And when you try to make time for prayer, It it seems as like the the enemy has a direct line into your mindset and all these different distracting thoughts, not always bad thoughts, but just distracting thoughts keep coming in. And you think like, man, the more I try to read the Bible, the harder it gets for me. The more I try to pray, the harder it gets. So maybe I shouldn't just, I just should stop reading the Bible so much. Maybe I should just take a break from praying so much and then the attacks would lessen. No, then he wins. Then the enemy has won. So the temptation is to, sometimes not even just to go back, the temptation sometimes is to get off the playing field or get off the court and occupy a space on the bench. And God has not called you to that. That's one of the dangers that we have concerning this thing called The Church, capital C Church, which you are a part of, and you're an intricate part of The Church. And lack of trust in God will lead to complaining, Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll complain against God and we'll complain against leadership and we'll complain against this and that and everything in between. Oftentimes it's because we don't trust. We don't trust. I know, let me speak to anybody who's been in church for any certain amount of time and you may have been burned by church leadership. I understand there could be a temptation to not trust. But that's not okay. Because not all church leaders are bad. Not all church leadership is bad. And I'm sorry if you've been burned in the past, but not all church leaders deserve your lack of trust. Our church leadership, men and women who are prone to fail, absolutely, absolutely. We're, we're all just a bunch of sinners. Nobody li- is living perfectly except for Jesus Christ, right? So we're all on this journey together, but the problem sometimes, and what we saw with the children of Israel within that psalm is they did not trust moses at all and they complained not only against god but they complained about moses they complained about aaron the whole way and you even saw that in there it led to moses like he struck a rock right and god's like speak to the rock and moses is so frustrated he struck the rock and it costs him going into the promised land there was no reason to not trust Moses. There was no reason to not trust. I mean, even Aaron had like, Aaron was part of making the calf, right? So he had like, all right, Aaron, we don't know. I mean, we trust you a little bit, right? Like, I don't know about you. Moses never gave them a single reason to not trust that He wasn't hearing from God and delivering to them what God wanted them to know. But yet they did not trust, they didn't trust Moses. And really the bottom line was they didn't trust God. That caused them to wonder, in the wilderness, longer than what God had planned for them. And I get, I get trust issues. I grew up with trust issues. I don't trust anybody. I'm going to tell you that right now. Like, I don't trust anybody. That was how I was raised. So it's really hard for me to open up and trust people. So I understand that. But it is unfair to assume that every single church leadership team is out to get you. Is out to get you. And if you can't find a place where you can trust the leadership, then you need to keep looking. You got to, because this is what God is in for us. I mean, we're just, it's, it's not even just myself, it's myself and a handful of guys that are just on our knees all the time praying for direction from God for Calvary Galveston. We're in, we never have meetings to, so like, okay, how can we get the people, right? How can we get to them, you know? We're, it's not about that at all. We're, all, we're just constantly in one sense, on our faces, asking God, please speak to us. Please speak to us. Please give us clarity. Please give us direction. I can speak for us as a church and as a church leadership. Our one goal is that Jesus would be glorified. And that is it. And you can get behind that. You can get behind that. And if you can't get behind that, then you got to find somewhere where you can get behind that. Because what you don't want is to wander around in the wilderness for any longer. And that is a danger for the church. That is how not to be the church. You can't have these trust issues all of the time. We have to be on guard. I'm not saying anything about that. We have to be on guard. We have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves and all of that stuff. But there has to come to a point too, to where we're willing to say, all right, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. So The people never trusted Moses, and that was part of their dilemma and part of their issue. And sometimes, quite often, that's an issue within churches. Now, granted, again, I know there are pastors and leaders within churches who have failed and have misled people and all that good stuff. That happens. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And people get hurt as a result of that. But that's not every story. It's not every story. And so what our goal is, is as collectively as a chosen people that we would be able to come together and rejoice and praise God, because he, number one, is trustworthy, and he is faithful, and he is good, and he is good. So they should have been known for their worship of God. They had the coolest setup concerning worship of God, the children of Israel did, and they weren't really known for that. I mean, people knew about them and all that stuff, but eventually, because of their, number one, because of their murmuring and complaining, which also was a nice little gateway into compromise, Uh, they became a laughingstock of the nation surrounding them. And that's not what we should be to our city. They shouldn't look in on the church. I'm going to say capital church, capital C church of Galveston Island, the body of Christ represented here on Galveston Island, which by the way, is bigger than us. Okay, please know that there are other churches on this island meeting right now that are dear brothers and sisters that don't do church the way we do church, but they're still brothers and sisters. It's a body, right? And the world, outside world, what we wanna avoid is for them to look in and find, just like we saw in First Peter, reason for accusations or reason to mock our God. And that's what the children of Israel developed into because the nations surrounding them were like, wait, they're God's chosen people, yet they don't honor him, they don't respect him, they don't worship him. And over time, they became just a weak thing to their credit. It was still an impressive thing. Such a small nation becoming used by God in a tremendous way could have been much bigger than that. Even up until the point of the gospels when Jesus, the Messiah, showed up on the scene and they were like, we reject you. We reject you. What, What would it have been like if they would have received their Savior? But it just continued on and they did not trust God. They did not honor God. They had known for their compromising and all that good stuff. We just saw that all throughout that Psalm and it it weakened them how not to be a church. We can't let compromise come in corporately or individually because it will weaken the whole. It will weaken the whole. Paul used this illustration to the church of Corinth. Your body Every member is a part of a physical body, so to speak, and you can't just assume that what I'm doing over here on the side that nobody, quote unquote, nobody knows about will only affect me. That's not true. It's not true for your body, your physical body, and it's not true for the body of Christ. Again, I'm not promoting perfection, but I am promoting transparency and maturity Spiritual growth. And yeah, we're always going to have things we wrestle with. We're always going to have sins that we wrestle with all throughout our lives. Please tell me we're fighting against compromise. We're not just like, I'm a sinner. That's just how it is, right? Sinners sin. That's just how it goes. No, no, no. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Tell me you're fighting. You might slip up and you might fall. I get that. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. But we do expect us as a collective group that we are fighting. Just like Peter said in 1 Peter, that we're not giving over to these fleshly desires. Meaning we're not waving the white flag and surrendering to the flesh. The children of Israel were just known for, I mean, it was just compromise. And we saw that and it was just... Compromise, compromise, compromise. But these were God's chosen people. And he didn't choose them as Deuteronomy chapter 7 says. He didn't choose them because they were bigger than anybody else or they were, you know, smarter than everybody else or anything like that. He chose them specifically because they were smaller than everybody else. And nobody expected anything from that little bitty country called Israel. And God's like, that's perfect. You're exactly who I want to use. Started with Abraham. And then from there on, his descendants, that's who God wanted to use. And he chose them as a special people To worship him, to glorify him, to represent him. And they said, No thanks, God. We're glad we're chosen by you, but we kind of want to do things our way. And that would be the last little bit of how not to be a church. It's not about your way. It's not. It's not. And let me say this too it's not about my way. It's not about my way. It's about his way. And what does God want? What does God want for Calvary Galveston? And again, We have individuals within this church who are on their faces constantly asking lord please show us what you want what you want there's this uh little illustration i have a part-time job i I think most of you guys probably know that i'm a handyman a handyman that's not all that handy but uh i do my best i work for a guy who's become really just a, a dear friend of mine but he's the boss he's the master carpenter it's who he is and i show up to work and he already has the game plan so floyd has the blueprints to anything and everything we're ever going to build or work on i never see the blueprints i never ever ever see the blueprints never i never see the drawings i never see the measurements i never see any of it i show up to work he tells me what to do and i do it that's how it works that's how it works Now, he will communicate to me, today, we're going to build a chicken coop. So he casts the vision for me, and that's what we've done. But he doesn't submit to me like, okay, I'm going to give you the blueprints. James, I want you to go over these, and then I want your feedback. I want you to tell me what you think about this. And he doesn't do that. He says, this is what we're going to do. And I say, yes, sir. And he says, round up the tools. And I say, yes, sir. Let's get the material together. And I say, yes, sir. And I do exactly what he tells me. He says, I need a board cut this length. I say, yes, sir. And I go and cut that board, that link. And then we put it together. I do everything that I'm told because he's in charge. Because he's in charge.
2: Broken, the hopeless, hopeless, bread for the broken, yeah.
0: You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is going through the New Testament letter written by the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter is a book full of empowering statements made from someone who knew firsthand what it was like to believe in Jesus and to face enemies of all kinds. Much of Peter's message is reminding us that although we might face fiery trials, in the end, God will lift us up for being faithful to him. Once again, Peter knew what it was like to suffer. He himself had once denied that he even knew Jesus. Surely there was a turmoil within him during those hours of denial. But he went on to be a spiritual pillar as the Christian church was birthed. We trust that as you're listening to these messages from 1 Peter that you're being strengthened in your own walk and faith with the Lord. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus and find hope and new life in Him. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or we have a Thursday evening service too. You can find out more on our website breadforthebroken.com While you're there if the Spirit leads you there's a link to where you can support this ministry in a financial way. We're grateful for any support as we strive to spread the light of the gospel in a dark world. Well, that's all the time that we have for today but we'll be back again next time in the book of 1 Peter. Pastor James is looking forward to sharing more with you here on Bread for the Broken.
2: Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love